a story, fill up the pages, sing a little song, keep me around, keep me with you, right by your nightstand, keep me around, as long as you can. Do you ever think about like what your bones could be used for? like in the events of death in kind of like a post-apocalyptic scenario. I was thinking about this today, like... You mean like what people have traditionally used bones for? I wouldn't say traditionally. Uh, in the context that I was thinking about, my bones is like a xylophone, like a fun kind of like musical instrument. But Well, think- I'm actually thinking about our last episode with Maui because it, they were saying that the power from the magic fish hook came from the powerful magic bones of someone that had passed before. So well, it's yeah. like I mean magic fish hooks. Saints and whatnot usually have bones that are purported to be infused with like power and I feel like monks prowess. Mostly. Yeah, 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 for sure. But no, mine are more of like a xylophone musical instrument, but that was concerned because I feel like there's too clicky clacky, creaky creaky. Really be good. I don't know, but you are a drummer, so percussion instrument yeah, but now, like, in my early 30s, like, my bones feel more like they're matchsticks than good percussive pieces. Anyway, hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of ADD Storytelling, the podcast in which we explore the myths and legends of our time, the past, the present, and the future, in no particular order, and sometimes with less than perfect focus. My name is Tucker, and as always, I am joined by our neurodivergent, diaphanous host, Maddie. How's it going, Maddie? Hey. Hey. What are we doing tonight? How are you feeling? Ready to rip roar through this? We're taking it at your own sweet pace. I'm feeling productive today. Yeah. I've been really productive. Mm-hmm. I also got stuck like a pincushion in acupuncture because part of having endometriosis is being a pincushion. Yeah. It's a thing. Well, it's I like love well, acupuncture. It's fun. I do feel like a, a prisoner in my own body, though, when I'm... I'm fully pinned down and left alone. The, yeah, the mine I has have, a button. I really think yours needs to have a button. Help no, button. the button is my face, and my face is usually quite well, like, stuffed into a pillow. And so I'm I'm always concerned. Like, I can never really get to full relaxation because the thoughts that are always racing through my head are of the uh, building collapse or earthquake variety. You should just fall asleep. Take a nap. I did that last time because last week I was so exhausted that I could do nothing but just pass out. And I ended up drooling all over the inside of my mask and woke (laughs) up when the liquid became too much for me to handle. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah. So in that way, it wasn't a really relaxing, like, return to, like, my conscious state. It was more of a sudden uh, alarming realization that my mustache had breached the, uh, the event horizon of saturation. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Anyway, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about Jewish folktales, which is like, there's some really classic and interesting ones. I'm super excited for the golem. I have two different golem stories. Remember that movie, that recent golem movie that we watched during lockdown? You probably will say no to this question because I watched it while you and Nikki my sister-in-law, were in the midst of a work day 
during the portion of lockdown wherein I was not working and just kind of subsisting. Yeah, and great. on a really shitty horror movie. Well, I mean, all right. Well, yeah, so I don't remember this at all. I say shitty. It was fine. The end kind of went off the rails, and it was quite evident that they ran out of money. But it, it was fun. It, it was a cool period piece for, like, medieval Hebrew culture. But the end, they had some highfalutin ideas for what they wanted to do with a VFX budget that didn't play out well. You don't remember this at all? No, not even remotely. To be honest, the lockdown is like kind of a blur of being outside and also having to be online. My memories go from being outside in the sun to being online in one corner of our living room, like shouting at the children over a computer. (laughs) It was a great time. It's it's really, really specific to uh, trying to get children to talk to you on a computer. I mean, trying to make it really reiterate that you're a teacher. Otherwise, that soundbite could be used against you. Oh, right. I am a teacher. (laughs) I teach middle school. I think we've said this before. We have, but I'm just, you know, for anyone who decides to join in for their first episode at Jewish Folklore. Yeah, I, I teach math. Which you know, kids are really engaged at home for their math lesson. That's the one they're going to tune into, right? Even though my personality is so engaging, a lot of them really hate math. (laughs) Like in general, even though they're like, "I like you, I hate math." I'm like, "Oh, okay, that's nice, I guess." (laughs) Tell us more about Jewish folklore. Okay, so the two books we're using. The first one I'm I'm really excited by. It's um. I actually can't read this word. Got big self-published vibes coming off that. Well, I don't know if it is self-published, actually. I think it isn't, because it has illustration and lettering. Well, you can self-publish with illustration. I'm always uh, incredulous about something with a uh, a stapled spine. Okay, well, be unincredulous, because this is by (laughs) somebody who I really admire. It's by Roots Metals. They do jewelry and Jewish history, and they're a social activist. And um, it's like the witches of Eskazu and other Jewish fairy tales. This is their first little book. And they spend their whole time either making jewelry, like awesome jewelry, or they do in-depth research about Jewish history and write, like, post about it on Instagram. So they're like a social activist. So you should follow them on Instagram and buy their jewelry. Um, Roots Metals. That's is that their Instagram handle? Yeah, and also basically their artist name. So I, I have a feeling that because... I have a feeling that you're going to need to write that out in the description. Of oh, this I episode. will. 100% I will do that. Because I, I want them to get business and support. Um, get that business. Because they've helped me learn so much on their Instagram. And these folktales are great. And um, I think they go by Roots Metals as an artist name because they don't want to just throw their real name out on the internet when they're doing like social justice posts like they don't want people to like target them and do like weird shit like they do on 4chan or whatever fair enough so what are we talking about so this is one book jewish folktales i already told you what we're talking about <laughs> jewish folktales what do you mean what are we talking about i don't know the other one is jewish fairy tales and fables by gertrude landa and they also go by Aunt Naomi, which is interesting. <laughs> and this was originally published in like 19... Landa, is that... Uh... 19 or some stuff. And now it's like a republishing with like new things. Cool. Is it 1919? Yeah. That's fun. So like the first collection by this person was like way long ago. 
And now I think they're like an ancient person and they're like, I'm going to republish. <laughs> but yeah. God, I, I never ceased to be amazed by people that were able to compile books of folkloric knowledge in the pre-internet days, which, you know, is the vast majority of human history. But even still, like, 1919, like, wow, you did some footwork to get well, these tales together. It was like a thing, I think they're both Jewish people, so they're compiling knowledge that has been told to them. Yeah, but I'm sure that um, they're pulling from it. I mean, and also one of them is on Instagram, so they've got a bit of a different experience than the writer that created this in 1919. Right, but I think she's like literally making stuff up some sometimes because it's like she says, yeah, I they're... want there to be Jewish folk fairy tales for like kids that are Jewish so that it's like a thing that they can experience. Brothers Grimm, who published their compendium around like 1890, did a lot of embellishment like yeah you, you kind of have to when you're trying to make like a cohesive work but it comes from somewhere right so the first one we're going to do is from the roots models book and it's called this isn't a real book so that's why you hear pages turning the golem of prague the illustrations in this are fucking bomb look at this thing that's pretty good it's good illustrations who's the artist the artist for this book says in the front, Sherry Ross, lettering by Meg Adler. There's cool lettering also. Okay, here we go. Once there was a Christian kingdom where the Jews lived in terrible fear. For many years, the Christians dragged Jews through the winding cobblestone streets of Prague and burned them at the stake. Then a merciful king rose to the throne and he put an end to the slaughters. But that king's reign did not last very long. He was killed in battle, chopped in half at the torso with an axe. Damn. Yeah. His wicked son became king, and soon thereafter made a royal decree that all Jews must leave the city of Prague by nightfall, for they shall be put to death. The Jews cried in desperation and turned to Rabbi L-O-E-W. Low. I'd say low. Louis? Email at addstoryteller at gmail.com. L-O-E-W. I'm going to say... Low. Low. Rabbi Low, for wisdom. Rabbi Low was well-versed in the intricate matters of the Torah, so the Jews depended on him for answers. Mothers wailed with their children at their hips. Men paced the synagogue and argued with each other, desperate to discover a solution. Finally, the rabbi hushed the congregation with his fist in the air and said, do not worry, for I am sure of what I must do. Rabbi Lowe rushed down to the riverbank and fell on his knees. He constructed a little golem figurine out of wet clay and feverishly recited ancient Hebrew incantations. Made a mud baby. Mm-hmm. Little mud man for his little plan. To add a final touch, Rabbi Lowe added a piece of parchment with a sacred... Sorry, with a secret... I really thought that pee was going somewhere else. For his final act, he put a little penis on the golem. <laughs> Rabbi Lowe added a piece of parchment with the secret name of God. I heard it again. And brought the golem to life. There's like that same magic that we talked about in the Jinn episode with using the the writing of God from a sacred script, like whereas before it was discussed in the Quran and ingesting it in a, a decoction. Here it's the actual the word of God in the Torah. Being used as that final implement to infuse magic into an item. 
Yeah, and also, in- interestingly, in the book, God has, like, a dash where the O is, so it's like a secret God. Oh, like the band Under Rose. As the statue took its very first breath, he grew double in size, and then triple, and so on and so forth, until he was as tall as the highest church steeple. Which, this is medieval times, so that's like 12 feet. No, they're tall. He will protect us, Rabbi Lothar, and he named the beast Yasele. Yasele kept watch over the Jewish quarter, and by nightfall, he terrorized the Christians that dared come near. Fucking rip ass. He's like the Jewish Batman. Yeah. Though the beast could neither talk nor think, the Jews breathed a giant sigh of relief and came to love Yasele, offering him food and drink. On and on this went for days until the Sabbath, when Rabbi Lowe removed the parchment so Yasele could rest, as the Torah commanded. Without the parchment, the golem shrunk to the size of the regular figurine, which Rabbi Lowe stuffed into the attic of the synagogue. But one Sabbath, Rabbi Lowe forgot to put the golem to rest. As the Jews swayed back and forth in prayer, the golem tore through the synagogue. He stepped on the heads of the congregation with his giant feet, squishing them flat to the ground. Horrified, Rabbi Lowe chased after the golem, who had now gone on to wreak havoc on the Christians of Prague. Yasele was so large and so strong that everything he stepped on turned to dust. Men, women, and children, Christian and Jewish alike, shouted and parted out of the way just as Masha Rabinu had split the Red Sea. Finally, Isn't that Moses, brother, that was a different name. It's probably in Hebrew. Different nom de celeb for Something? Moses. Finally, Rabbi Lowe intervened, and after wrestling with the beast for several minutes, he yanked out the piece of parchment. Right before his eyes, the grolem shrunk to stone. Rabbi Lowe returned the figurine to the attic, where it still haunts the synagogue to this day. The little mud boy stone prog? Yeah. That's cool. that I mean, I, I, I mean, this is a modern publication, right? Yeah. So that makes me think that there is something somewhere in Prague that is still said to be said to hold the statue, if not there, is, if not the statue itself that people can visit. Once again, email in if you know it because I ain't gonna Google it. I've done enough work this week. <laughs> but um, do you know of any like other than the obvious connections between the Jewish golem and like? say like golem from J.R.R. Tolkien or golem in Pokemon is just made of stone is that the only thing I would say there is a connection to Pokemon because it's literally spelled exactly the same way and it looks like a little stone's figurine exactly for golem yeah. in Lord of the Rings I think they just wanted to have it sound weird so they went sound golem because they're not this they're not spelled the same no way. I know they're not spelled the same way but there is there any kind of you see any kind of like through line with like a reference is like well, it could be like he looks like a little mud man after being in a cave for like a couple centuries. He is like a little sinister mud man. Maybe brought to life by the word of God, which is the ring. I don't know. Now we're getting into like J.R. Tolkien lore theory. He's not brought to life. He's actually disintegrating from life no, because he's driven crazy by the ring. And then there's, there it is. It's the word of God of a destructive force rather than life. We can go. We can go into this. But then, why would they have the all of the white? Like the in Tolkien, there's always white and light and fancy fair folk or whatever. And then there's like the dark and Mordor and shadows. And, and what comes from Mordor and the shadows? But the ring, the word of Satan. I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's like fire is like hellfire. It's like really like black and white in Tolkien. They didn't. They didn't do a lot of character. Boromir's gray. 
I guess. My allergies are In full not bloom. good. <laughs> okay, the next one is called the Rabbi's Boogeyman. And guess what it is? It's a golem. Duh. <laughs> You're so they tickled call it, by that. They call it the Boogeyman the whole time. Boogeyman. Boogeyman? Boogeyman. Boogeyman. It's spelled bogey, but I think it's boogey. With an umlaut? No, like bogey. B-O-G-E-Y. Oh, yeah, it's bogeyman. Bogeyman. It, it sounds like, like boogeyman, like... though. Bogeyman. Sounds like a booger person. Yeah, whatever. Oh, is that... Maybe it's made from, like, mucus. It's not. Damn it. Okay, here we go. Did you say it's not? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rabbi Lion of the ancient city of Prague. Then how are we supposed to believe him? <laughs> so stupid. Sat in a study in the ghetto, looking very troubled. I guess there's a Jewish ghetto now, so we're here. Isn't that where the word comes from? Isn't it Yiddish? Ghetto? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know, actually, the origin of the word ghetto. I do know that they used it to describe the gatherings of, forceful gatherings of people during the Holocaust that, exactly. that were of Jewish origin. And that's the first time I've heard it in a historical context, so I've always just kind of assumed, if not a Yiddish thing, but like a specifically Jewish, like pogrom. Like pogrom is specifically, pogrom is a, a, a mass murder of Jews. Oh, a pogrom? I wondered if ghetto, if not a Jewish term, was specifically, or originated specifically as a term for a forceful placement or community i don't know for some reason i thought ghetto was italian it does from it comes from italian borgo burrow early 17th century comes from the, the italian borgo for burrow because the first ghetto was established in 1516 on the site of foundry in venice term was originally used for the Venetian ghetto in Venice, Italy, as early as 1516 to describe the part of the city where Jewish people were restricted to live and thus segregated from other people. Wow, says both. So it is Italian, and it is specifically about Jewish displacement or segregation. So, it's interesting that this story in Prague starts out with ghetto, which we find out is Italian in origin, but describes a Jewish segregation specifically. I mean, we still deal with these old school uh, persecutions and fucking ass backward beliefs about Jewish individuals with things like QAnon today. That has its roots in fucking. There are neo Nazis today. Well, I'm not even talking about neo Nazis. Like, what is is QAnon not neo Nazis? I mean, there's a Venn diagram, but like (laughs) at at its face, no, it's their whole shit about like drinking children's blood and shit. That, I really know nothing about it. I know you I, don't. And every time I've tried to like start talking about it, you're like, I don't want to know. But yeah, just adrenochrome and all that bullshit that QAnon believers uh, believe in, it, it, it comes from 15th century pogroms and scapegoating of Jewish individuals for things like the Black Plague. 
So it's cool how that shit's persisted. I feel like I would be remiss to not say that a lot of the illustrations of villains and things in Germanic folklore and stuff are based off of Jewish stereotypes, like with hook noses and like... uh, Curly hair? I guess curly hair and maybe like... That's really actually all I can think of. Right now, now I'm going back to the comic book that was illustrated by uh, Spielman. Uh, oh, Mouse. Mouse. I'm thinking of Mouse, how they had the cat as the Nazis and the pigs as the police and the Jewish people as the mice, mice rat people. And just like the symbolism of that. And I think that comes from like a long line of like predatory, predatory propaganda yeah. against the Jewish people. I think um, but it's also flipping it because, you know, of all the the belief that the rats had spread things like plagues or disease when in actuality they hadn't it was mites and hamsters um right yeah it was yeah, like so smaller organisms so that Sp- were rats spielman's flipping it on its head it's a, it's a persecution of something that of a group that's not responsible right yeah you should definitely read that graphic novel series if you have not because it's it's i'm assuming that's what spielman's doing i actually just shot that off the hip i'm assuming that was intentional well, I think the symbolism is intentional. Yeah. I yeah. So anyway, this is still a Jewish folklore. So let's keep let's keep going. Let's keep trudging ahead. And I'll just where I was on the first line of the story. So I'm just gonna say I'm just gonna start over because now we've gone on a, a bit of a tangent here. Done a few of those tonight, but they've been good. They've been tolerably good. Here we go. <laughs> the rabbi's bogeyman. We're calling it a bogeyman now. Bogey first. Rabbi Lyon, of the ancient city of Prague, sat in his study in the ghetto, looking very troubled. Through the window, he could see the river Moldau, with the narrow streets of the Jewish quarter clustered around the cemetery, which still stands today, and where is to be seen this famous man's tomb. Beyond the ghetto rose the towers and spires of the city, but just at that moment it was not the cruelty of the people to the Jews that occupied the rabbi's thoughts. He was unable to find a servant even one to attend the fire on the Sabbath for him. The truth was that the people were a little afraid of the rabbi. He was a very learned man, wise and studious, and a scientist. And because he did wonderful things, people called him a magician. His experiments in chemistry frightened them. Late at nights, they saw little spurts of red and blue flame shine from his window, and they said that demons and witches came at his beck and call, so nobody would enter his service. If, as they declare, I am truly a magician, he said to himself, why should I not make for myself a servant, one that will tend the fire for me on the Sabbath? It's really, he really hates setting fires. It's the opposite of you. (laughs) (laughs) Tucker's really into bonfires, not pyromania. Okay. (laughs) Good clarification. Thanks, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I looked out for you earlier, and you looked out for me there. Thank you. He set out to work on his novel idea and in a few weeks had completed his mechanical creature, a woman. She looked like a big, strong, laboring woman, and the rabbi was greatly pleased with his handiwork. Now endow it with life, he said, carefully in the silence of his mysterious study at midnight. Go back to that Pygmalion uh, ex machina territory. Yeah, but I don't think he's attracted to this woman. (laughs) You don't know that. He wrote out the unpronounceable sacred name of God on a piece of parchment. 
Then he rolled it up and placed it in the mouth of the creature. This is different. The other one was the forehead. This one's the mouth, so that's interesting. Then he rolled it up and placed it in the mouth of the creature. Immediately it sprang up and began to move like a living thing. It rolled its eyes, waved its arms, nearly walked through the window. In alarm, Rabbi Lyon snatched the parchment from his mouth, and the creature fell helpless to the floor. I wonder if his mouth was just gaping open. It seems like it's acting a lot like a corgi. Yeah. I must be careful, said the rabbi. It is a wonderful machine with its many springs and screws and levers, and will be most useful to me as soon as I learn to control it properly. <laughs> Holy shit. All the people marveled when they saw the rabbi's machine woman running errands and doing many duties, controlled only by his thoughts. She could do everything but speak, and the rabbi lion soon discovered that he must take the name from her mouth before he went to sleep. Otherwise, she might have done mischief. One cold Sabbath afternoon, the rabbi was preaching in the synagogue, and the little children stood outside his house looking at the machine woman seated by the window. When they rolled their eyes, she did. What? You don't want to tell the story. Okay, I guess this is part of the story, but it makes no sense. When they rolled their eyes, she did, and at last they shouted, Come play with us! She promptly jumped through the window and stood among the boys and girls. <laughs> we are Hi, cold. kids! <laughs> oh, yeah! We're cold, said one. Canst thou make a fire for us? Canst thou <laughs> make a fire for us? The creature was made to obey orders. So she at once collected yeah. sticks and lit a fire in the street. Yeah, okay, we're getting in some live doll territory, and I don't like it. Then, with the children, she danced around the blaze in great glee. She piled on all the sticks and old barrels she can find, and soon the fire spread and caught a house. The children ran away in fear, while the fire blazed so furiously that the whole town became alarmed. Go, go, gadget, sand. Because before... it's before running water. Yeah. Before the flames could be extinguished, a number of houses had been burned down and much damage done. Jesus Christ, how much time has passed? The creature could not be found, and only when the parchment with the name, which could not burn, was discovered amid the ashes, was it known that she had been destroyed in the conflagration. The council of the city was indignant when it learned of the strange occurrence, and Rabbi Lyon was summoned to appear before King Rudolph. Why Why did you give me that little sly smile? Because Rudolph. You like Rudolph? The red-nosed reindeer? It's funny. Okay. Cool. What is this I hear? Asked his majesty. Is it not a sin to make a living creature? Yeah, it had... probably is. I don't, I don't know if... I think the creation of life is pretty much reserved for one person and one person only. Then we're getting to the theological definition of what life is. Therefore, the rabbi says, it had no life. But for the sacred name. Oh, damn, it. I just segued you like a fucking courtesan into that one. Yeah. So the sacred name is the only thing that gave it life. So it, got, it comes from God. So yeah, all right. No, no. Swayed. This jury acquits. I understand it not, said the king. Thou wilt be imprisoned and must make another creature so that I may see it for myself. If it is as thou sayest, thy life shall be spared. If not, if in truth thou profanest God's secret law and makest it makest a living thing, plow through it. Thou shalt die, and all thy people shall be expelled from the city. I love the inconsistency of one you two voices. <laughs> I am they just they come about like every blue moon. It's just like you'll read an entire story with multiple characters, and just at one point. 
you'll take on an inflection. I love it. Yeah, call me charming. Okay. <laughs> Rabbi Lion at once sent to work, and this time made a man, much bigger than the woman that had been burned. <laughs> As your majesty In what way? <laughs> As your majesty sees, said the rabbi, when his task was completed. It is but a creature of wood and glue with springs at the joints. Now observe. And one largest spring placed in a very specific location, your majesty. As I said, this one is bigger than the last. <laughs> and firmer, if you do ask me. Test it, won't you, your majesty? <laughs> hmm. And he put in the sacred name in its mouth. Yeah, go ahead and put your sacred name in its mouth, your highness. Slowly the creature now rose to his feet and, and saluted the monarch, who was so delighted that he cried, Give him to me, Rabbi. That cannot be, said Rabbi Lion solemnly. The sacred name must not pass from my possession. Otherwise the creature may do great damage again. This time I shall take care and I will not use the man on the Sabbath. <laughs> Wait, who said that? The, um, Rabbi. Okay, magician Rabbi. Yeah, the reason that the other one got away is because they wasn't watching him on the Sabbath. The, her. Yeah, just like in the last story. Yeah. The king those saw goddamn the kids. No, it's children. It was really kids' fault, though, in this one. Those. Dastardly devils. What, what are you calling Scooby Doo? Rotten kids. You should fucking know. I would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for those. Meddling kids. There, there you we go. Fucking... Thanks. Jesus Christ. You're the Scooby Doo fan. I know. I was really blanking. I was asking you. I hate that shit. All right. Never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> the king saw the wisdom of this and set the rabbi at liberty and allowed him to take the creature to his house. The Jews looked on in wonderment when they saw the creature walking along the street by the side of Rabbi Lion, but the children ran away in fear, crying, The bogeyman! Look at it. <laughs> Rabbi! <Yeah. laughs> the parents looked on in wondered bewilderment at this automaton with its giant member, which frightened all the children. It walked, it's like the Iron Giant, but with an anatomically correct appendage. You're just making that up. No, I'm looking at the pictures over your shoulder right There's now. There's no pictures. The rabbi exercised caution with I his bogeyman this time. I see them when I close time. my eyes. And every Friday, just before Sabbath commenced, he took the name from its mouth so as to render it powerless. It became more wonderful every day. One evening, it startled the rabbi from a doze by beginning to speak. I want to be a soldier, it said, and fight for the king. I belong to the king. You made me for him. Silence! cried the rabbi lion, and it had to obey. I like not this, said the rabbi to himself. This monster must not become my master, may destroy me, and perhaps all the Jews. He could not help but wonder whether the king was right, and that it must be a sin to create a man. The creature not only spoke, but grew surly and disobedient, and yet the rabbi hesitated to break it up, for it was most useful to him. It did all his cooking, washing, and cleaning and three servants could not have performed the work so neatly and quickly. One Friday afternoon, when the rabbi was preparing to go to the synagogue, he heard a loud noise in the street. Come quickly, the people shouted at his door. Your bogeyman is trying to get into the synagogue. Rabbi Lion rushed out in a state of alarm. The monster had slipped from the house and was battering down the door of the synagogue. What art thou doing? demanded the rabbi sternly. Trying to get into the synagogue to destroy the scrolls of the holy law, answered the monster. Then wilt thou have no power over me, and I shall make a great army of bogeymen, 
who shall fight for the king and kill all the Jews. Jesus Christ. Horrifying. <laughs> and not uncommon at this time. I will kill thee first, exclaimed Rabbi Lion, and springing forward, he snatched the parchment with the name so quickly from the creature's mouth that it collapsed at his feet, a mass of broken springs and pieces of wood, wood and glue. For many years afterward, these pieces were shown to visitors in the attic of the synagogue. When the Once story again, was the told attic. Yeah. Of the rabbi's bogeyman. My Very brain good, right? is reeling right now because I'm realizing something that has uh, totally eluded me all mm. my life. This is where we get Pinocchio, right? But also, with well, Pinocchio's the, a wooden puppet. Yeah, but it's still, I mean, one of these tales, it was mud, which I would say. The, it's the mud and wooden springs. Most, most of the golem tales I've heard are mm -hmm. from a mud-made creature. Mm -hmm. This is the first time I've heard of it being an automaton. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's definitely a relation there with, if we're talking about Pinocchio and um, the relation to the golem story, the only unique part about Pinocchio from this is that it has a nose that grows longer with each lie it tells. Another Jewish stereotype are, is a propensity for lying. Is this not, like, is Pinocchio just based on fucking Jewish folklore with then put through a racist sieve? Yeah, maybe that's the thing with Pinocchio. I really have no idea. Maybe there's a scholarly article about it somewhere. You should research it. I, I, I intend to now because that's that's... Yeah, really, uh, that struck me. I didn't actually know that there was a stereotype for Jewish people lying, so interesting. But when I think of Pinocchio, I think of Geppetto, the guy that created the puppet. Yeah, and how much he wanted a son. And he was lonely, and he made a son, and then his son came to life. I always think about it as like a father story. But that's also, I've read Golem stories wherein like for example that that movie i discussed earlier in the episode but the disney pokemon fucking sucks it's like one of yeah. the worst movie i've ever seen it's rough i hate it but for example that movie i discussed earlier in the episode that i watched during quarantine was about a jewish woman that uh steals like secret knowledge in order to learn how to create a golem because she can't have a child and it's in a sense her surrogate child until like in both these tales you've read tonight she loses control over it. Hmm. So there are tales in which the golem is created as a, uh, you know, a replacement surrogate offspring. And I heard of these before watching that movie as well. That's interesting. Lots to unpack there. Yeah, now I feel like I need a degree in Jewish folklore and anthropology and like, you know, cultural studies, history. All of those things. Yeah. In history in general. It's and I don't have any of those things. And then like, so I have Pinocchio, no answers. Pinocchio is Italian, right? Pinocchio is Italian. So this next one. So we talked, we there were two golden stories. Now we're talking about sort of like creatures. Hey. Um, but this middle story is like short. Well, I just think it's really sweet. So it's That's sweet. That's all you need to say. And it's sad. So it's called The Sage's Poem. Yeah, okay. Here we go. There was there once lived a sage. No, okay, here we go. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, 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 okay. This is in uh, Reese Muddle's book again. Okay. There once lived a wise sage, neither woman nor man, 
who decided to embark on a long pilgrimage to the Holy Land after many years of devoted prayer. They crossed the mountains as tall as God above and rivers with vicious currents. They listened to the crash of the waves on the shore and swam against the tide. And throughout the perilous, difficult journey, they wrote poems marveling at the beauty of his creation. As in his, capital H. Mm -hmm. But despite all the creator's beauty, the sage cannot help but notice the depravity of man. From one empire to the next, wicked rulers the size of giants stepped on the backs of the innocent, crushing them to dust. Horrified, the sage prayed for a solution, but no matter how many times they repeated the ancient incantations under their breath, nothing changed. Disillusioned, the sage retreated to their ship and scribbled in their notebook, writing notes for prosperity, hoping someday humanity would see the error of its ways and find solace in the words that the sage had to say. The sage ultimately reached their destination, Jerusalem of gold, perched atop the land of milk and honey. While the land was all and more of what God had promised, they cannot help but notice that the cruelty of man had dug its claws deep into the holiest of sights as well. Upon this realization, the sage died of a broken heart. Was it the Disney Corporation? Their body rests underneath the Mount of Olives, and just as they once did on their journey, their spirit still roams the holy city, witnessing the rise and fall of one wicked ruler after the next. But the sage did not write their words in vain. Instead, they have persisted for generations, poetry that has carried the song of the time. Lincoln Park. <laughs> Slowly but surely, the tide of humanity has changed, and though still wicked at its core, the people rise from the dust and demand a better world, one worthy of God's creation. In all of this, little children, boys, girls, and those that are neither, find deep solace in the sage's wisdom. That rips ass. Isn't it the sweetest story? Yeah. Yeah. I liked that one. It didn't fit in either one, so I just put it in the middle. Cool. Oh, wait. Are we halfway through? Yeah. Oh, shit. All right. <laughs> There's, like, two more. These two are about creatures of the forest, kind of. So, there is, like, a a splitting in theme. There's, like, the golem theme, the beautiful sage theme, and then there's the creatures of the forest. Yeah. So, this one's called The Fairy Frog. And I'm basically almost switching books every time. So, we're, I'm back to the other book now. Once upon a time, there lived a man of learning and wealth who had an only son named Hanina. To this son, who was grown up and married, he sent a messenger asking that he should immediately come to his father. Hanina obeyed and found both his father and mother lying ill. No, my son, said the old man. We are about to die. Grieve not, for it has been so ordained. Well, he found him ill. I don't know if he needed to lead with no, my son. I don't think the son had any preconceptions about the situation. They didn't look good. Well, he's saying no as in K-N-O. Oh, like, okay. Like, for your knowledge. I thought it was like, no, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not great. I'm gonna die. <laughs> yeah, no, this isn't as in... No, to under understand this, my child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Grieve not, for it has been ordained. We have been companions through life, and we are to be privileged to leave this world together. You will mourn for us the customary seven days. They will end on the eve of the festival of the Passover. On that day, go forth to the marketplace and purchase the first thing offered to thee, no matter what it is, or what the cost that may be demanded. 
It will in due course bring thee good fortune. I got this I love Burbank shot glass. Hearken unto my words, my son, and all will be well. Nina promised obedience to the strange injunction of his father, and events fell out in accordance with the old man's prediction. The aged couple died on the same day, were buried together, and after a week of mourning, on the day preceding the Passover festival, Hanina made his way to the marketplace, wondering what adventure was in store for him. He had scarcely entered the marketplace, where all manner of wares were displayed, when an old man approached him, carrying a silver casket of curious design. Purchase this, my son, he said, and it will bring thee good fortune. What does it contain? asked Hanina. That I may not inform thee, was the reply. Indeed I cannot, for I know not. Only the purchaser can open it at the feast which begins the Passover. Is this a Dybbuk box? No. Never mind. A silver box. Curious design. Silver casket. Naturally, Hanina was impressed by these words. Matters were shaping just as his father had foretold. What is the price? he asked. A thousand gold pieces. That was an enormous sum, nearly the whole that he possessed. But Hanina, remembering his vow, paid the money and took the casket home. It was placed upon the table that night when the Passover festival began. On being opened, it was found to contain a smaller casket. This was opened, and out sprang a frog. It's like a nesting casket. Yeah. Anita's wife was sorely disappointed, but yeah. she gave food to the frog, which devoured everything greedily. So much did this creature eat that when the Passover had ended, in eight days it had grown to an enormous size. Anita built a cabinet for his strange possession but it continued to grow and soon required a special shed. You be a big frog. Nina was seriously puzzled, for the frog ate so ravenously that he and his wife had little food for themselves. But they made no complaint. Why are they feeding it after a doctor was like worms and flies? Like literally everything, I think. But they made no complaint, although their hardships increased daily. They were compelled to dispose of almost everything they possessed to keep the frog supplied with food and at last they were left in a state of abject poverty. Then only did the courage of Hanita's wife give way, and she began to cry. I like that because it sounded like you said object poverty. Abject. I know, but it, it actually makes sense either way, because they have no more objects because they fed them all to the frog. To her astonishment, the frog, which is now bigger than a man, spoke to her. Listen to me, wife of faithful Hanina, it said. Ye have treated me well. Therefore, ask of me what ye will, and I shall carry out your wishes. Give us food, sobbed the woman, who has no name in the story for no apparent reason. Yeah, that tends to be the case. It is there, said the frog, and at that very moment there was a knock at the door, and a huge basket of food was delivered. Anina had not yet spoken, and the frog asked him to name his desire. A frog that speaks and performs wonders must be wise and learned, said Hanina. <laughs> I wish that thou shouldest teach me the lore of men. The frog agreed, and his method of teaching was exceedingly strange. He wrote out the law and the seventy known languages on strips of paper. These he ordered Hanina to swallow. <gasps> Just like a Bible story. The guy eating the scroll. You remember that? Yeah, or just like the golem. Or, like or just golem. like the jinn, this yeah, seems to be like a recurring theme. Yeah, just consuming the words of God. Totally. Hanina did so and became acquainted with everything, even the language of the beasts and the birds. 
all men regarded him as the most learned sage of his time. Also like the Matrix, where you download it to your brain and you know Kung Fu now. <laughs> Don't red pill the audience. <laughs> One day the frog spoke again. The day has arrived, he said, when I must repay you for all the kindness you have shown me. Your reward shall be great. Come with me to the woods and you shall see marvels performed. Oh, Jesus. No. Okay. Now we're... We're going into a territory that I don't feel comfortable with for our younger viewers. <laughs> and Nina and his wife followed the giant frog to the woods very early one morning, and a comical figure it presented as it hobbled along. Oh, yeah, I'm Pee-wee. I... That's not a Pee-wee voice. I'm sorry. <laughs> God, I can't do a Pee-wee voice. No one can do a Pee-wee voice. A Pee-wee. Arrived at the woods, the frog cro cried out in its croaking voice. Oh! <laughs> Come to oh! me. All ye inhabitants of the trees, the caves, and the streams, and do my bidding. Bring precious stones from the depths of the earth, and roots, and herbs. Then began the queerest procession. Hundreds upon hundreds of birds came twittering through the trees. Thousands upon thousands of insects came crawling from the holes in the ground. Come on, everybody, let's go! It's time for our procession! Let's go, everyone! <laughs> it's the queerest procession anyone's ever seen! Let's do it! <laughs> Fucking bug. I didn't know you were doing a queer voice. I thought you were doing Lumpy Space Princess. No, I mean, oh, I mean, LSP, it was pretty queer, but no, this is our queer procession of me and all my Woodland Critter friends were just marching through this forest. We're strutting in on this catwalk that we call a forest floor. You sound like a Lumpy Space Princess. You sound like Lumpy Space Princess, bitch. <laughs> Sorry, I lost my cool there. And all animals in the woods, from the tiniest to the monsters, came in answer to the call of the frog. Each group brought some gift and laid it at the feet of Hanina and his wife, who stood in some alarm. Soon a great pile of precious stones and herbs was heaped before them. Here's our pile of shit. We just brought it from... It's not a lot of, like, useful things, but it's just things we had. It's just gonna be lumped up in a pile in front of you. Hope you'll fucking like it. Bye, Bash. Ow. All these belong to you, said the frog. This is your problem now, said the frog. Pointing to the jewels. Of equal worth are the herbs and the roots, with which ye can cure all diseases. Because ye obeyed the wishes of the dying, and did not question me, ye are now rewarded. Brought you some ibuprofen and some <laughs> Advil. Anita and his wife thanked the frog, and then the former said, May we not know thou who thou art? Yes, replied the frog. It's me, RuPaul. <laughs> I've been here all along. I am the fairy son of Adam, gifted with the power of assuming any form. Yeah, I could see that as a like pseudonym for RuPaul. Farewell. The fairy son of Adam? That's what he That's said. That's definitely one of RuPaul's personalities. With these words, the frog began to grow smaller and smaller until it was the size of an ordinary frog. Then it hopped into a stream and disappeared, and all the denizens of the woods returned to their haunts. Anina and his wife made their way home with their treasures. They became famous for their wealth. Their wisdom. <laughs> their wit. <laughs> <laughs> and their charity. And lived in happiness with all the peoples for many, many years. With wow. All okay. Well, that's, a, I mean, what's the moral of the story? Buy trinkets. Uh, Buy the first trinket you see. No, the moral of the story is to obey the dying wishes of your father, even if they're ridiculous. No, I feel like that's a very bad moral. That was the moral, though. I, I know, but I, I really feel like that one doesn't hold up. If you say so. Nearly as well as buy the trinkets of any vendor you see. 
that's going to elicit a lot more happiness than just what like what spend all your savings on a random silver casket i'm not saying all your because all right when you encounter a random vendor it's not going to be that expensive most random vendors aren't asking you for your life savings this was a one in a million chance i guess but more often than not the final like just blood curdling screams of like death throes of your father will be a weird weird request don't always fulfill that you don't need to plant 3,000 tulips or dandelions or whatever that one of your bastards request was in Canada. Okay. So the last one has a lot of, let's say, metaphor to history. Unlike the others. Okay. So this one is called Creatures of the Forest as well. So, in the time of strife and war, there was hmm. a little Jewish boy who escaped the foot soldiers and ran deep into the belly of the haunted forest. Blinded by the darkness, the boy depended on his listening to give him direction. This wouldn't happen to be the Black Forest of Germany, would it? It's just called the Haunted. But it's dark. Mm-hmm. Uh. Where he had once heard shouting and gunfire, the boy now overheard the cricking of the crickets and the hooting of the owl. Hoot, hoot! <laughs> hoot! Owl House is coming back, and I'm so excited. I can't wait. I, I want to watch all of it. I, I'm so excited for Owl House coming back. <gasps> That's Hootie from Owl House. In case you guys haven't watched it, it's Oh my a god, it's show. Hootie from Owl House. He's here. It's a special guest. <laughs> okay. Where he had one. Thanks for your podcast, Maddie! For many days, or was it weeks, or even months? The boy wandered the forest aimlessly, always unsure of where he could rest his head. Over time, with no water to drink and no food to eat, he weakened considerably until he was nothing more than a bag of skin and bones. The days were dark in the haunted forest. The nights were even darker. With the curse of winter fast approaching, the boy knew that unless something changed, he would perish in no time. One day, the boy realized he had become so fragile that he could no longer run. Devastated, he collapsed him to the ground and wept, wept, where the moss cradled him like a pillow. He could only pray to God that would deliver him to death. It was then that the boy felt an itch on the tip of his nose. On instinct, he tried to brush it off. Ouch! The boy yelled. Startled, the boy asked, Who's there? He tried looking around, but as usual, darkness was all he could see. Where are you coming from? Well, I'm on your nose, silly! The voice exclaimed. On my nose? The boy tried to look down at it. It's Jiminy fucking Cricket. But his eyes crossed. Is it really? And made him dizzy. It is a cricket. Geppetto! Alright, once again, Pinocchio! (laughs) This shit comes from Jewish folklore, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, now you're saying, well, you've already already known this. Well, it is Jewish folklore. I'm not saying mm-hmm to what you're saying. I was uh mm-hmm your question. Who are you? asked the boy. Why, I'm Cry Cry the Cricket, of course. The creature said. Cry cry the cricket, the boy asked. And what are you doing hopping about on my nose? Well, I have been tasked with keeping you awake. Well, who is giving you such a task? Cry cry the cricket would not say. Well, I'm awake. Would you mind hopping off my nose? The boy asked. Certainly, cry cry said, bop bopping all over the boy's face. Anyway, it's time to get to business. What sort of business? The boy asked, rather confused. The business of the forest, said another voice, one that the boy did not recognize. 
Why the business of the forest, of course. Great, Hello. thank you. And who are you, the boy said. Mm, tell me my name, Maddie. Each answer seemed to get even more questions. Well, I'm Jeffrey, the star moose. I am Boo-Hoo-Hoo the owl. Boo-Hoo-Hoo the owl. Boo-Hoo-Hoo the owl! A talking owl and cricket, the boy yeah, thought. that's us! We're your best friends now! We'll never leave your side, no matter how much you ask! How interesting. No, not really! We're pretty plain old plain old! I'm a white bread piece of shit! <laughs> I'm with you forever, though! So perplexed was he. Can like... I get your Netflix password? <laughs> I don't have a job, but I'm your best friend! So perplexed was he that he forgot all about his exhaustion. Do you mind if I clip my nails in your living room? Instead, he asked more and more questions, and before he knew it, they were all well acquainted. Having become fast friends, Cry Cry the Cricket and Boo Hoo Hoo the Owl taught the boy all they knew about life in the haunted forest. This is how you play League of Legends. It's all I really do. <laughs> I don't know how to cook, though. Can you do that? What do you think about Halo Infinite? See, once you learn to live in harmony with the pine trees and the animals, it was not so frightening after all. Cry Cry the Cricket and Boo Hoo Hoo the Owl even taught the boy how to forage for wild berries. And soon enough, he was well fed and satisfied. The three you look of them, a little fat, kid! The three of them lived in this manner for many years until the war was won and a stream of light illuminated the haunted forest. Startled, the boy blinked away many times, adjusting his eye to the new glare of the sun. It was only when he could see again that he noticed his eldest brother waving at him in the shadow of the trees. The boy said his goodbyes to his cricket and his owl friends. Bye! But he never forgot them. He vowed to pass their story down to the next generation and the one after that, so that his Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and so on, would know of the two magical creatures that had saved his life with their friendship, wisdom, and compassion. We never kiss! <laughs> Not even once! Wow. I mean, you just ruined the sweet ending that that ended on. It was a very good ending. Right? Sweet. It was a cute story. It was a cute story. Isn't that a cute illustration where he's in a little moss bed? Yeah. That was the one I thought was the dead boy. Yeah. But it was a curled up boy that was sleeping and happy. Yeah. With his new owl friend. <laughs> okay, so that's the tales that I, I picked for this time. That was fucking great. Right? They're so good. As opposed to usual where I'm not enchanted by your tales. Well, <laughs> that's going to do it for us tonight, everybody. Thank you all for listening. Please send us any amazing folklore or anything that you want to talk about in relation to golems or in general anything also any corrections or insights you might have on any of tonight's stories to... send them our ways we are always open to learn more from you all beautiful people send them to addstoryteller at gmail.com yeah or dm us slide into my dms on instagram at addstorytellingpodcast you can support our podcast on our Anchor website. You can subscribe monthly if you want, even though we're free. Yeah. But, the, you know, we're also pretty expensive dates. So if you want to find other ways to support us, you always can. Tell your friends about our podcast. We'd love to have everyone hear the stories that we're bringing every week. And um, so we're going to be taking a week off 
this next week, but um, we will have a little surprise mini-sode for you in the interim. Yeah. So, I know you'll miss us. We'll miss you. Well, you'll probably miss us more than we miss you, but, you know, nonetheless, thank you so much, as always, for being here. Thanks for being here. Bye.